Welcome to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, and I'm coming to you from the Ocean Shores, Washington, Get the Knack podcast studio. And I'm joined by my good friend. He writes for popmatters.com. He's forgotten more about music than I'll ever know. Please welcome back to the program, making his usual monthly appearance, my good friend and old Navy buddy, Chris Ingalls. Chris, how are you? Jerry, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. And Chris, as usual, is coming to us all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. How's the weather over there? You said it's warmed up a little bit. It has warmed up. We had a last uh, snowstorm we had was last weekend, and um, the weather has been sort of on and off, mild and cold, but uh, no more snow in the last week. So I think I think spring may be around the corner. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 going okay. As evidenced by the frog sex I can hear from my backyard, spring might be springing here any minute. <laughs> It's nice that you have that barometer. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you live, you know, like r- less than a mile from the beach, you know, the ecology right. around here, you know, you got to mm-hmm. got to be in tune with uh, with the animal behavior that that's going to clue clue you into to what's happening. Hey, well, you know, it's it's really it seems to be um, like like some sort of a like a zoo over there. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's posted pictures of like all these wild animals in your backyard or something like that. What was that the other day? I had five deer in the front yard. And okay. Deer, and right. Two days later, the same herd showed up in the yard again, the same five. And it's like, Jeez. I've never had more than two or three. And, yeah. and now it's five. They're like a gang. They're just roving, looking for people to feed them. Um, but yeah, we've, we've had raccoons in the yard. There's been reports of bears in the neighborhood. I haven't seen any yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly there's coyotes around here. I haven't seen them yet, but, yeah. um, you know, uh, I, I want to say I saw a bald eagle, but I, I can't, uh, I can't confirm, uh, had a white, okay. it was a dark bird, had a white tail, but it could have been a seagull for all the hell I knew. Um, cause it was so far away, but we do have bald eagles here. Um, we have all kinds of stuff here and you know, it's, it yeah. is considered fringe rural here. So if I didn't have, you know, 22 miles of uninterrupted coastline, I'd be out in the weeds. Right, right. So, Fringe yeah. rural. I like that term. Yeah, yeah that's what they call, that's what they call. It. There's only seven thousand people here, so um, wow. you know, very small community. And uh, I still find it interesting, though. You know, when I walk around the neighborhood on on some of my exercise walks, um, you know, the big uh, Trump twenty twenty flag on the back of somebody's house that you can barely yeah. see through the trees. I'm like, who is that for? Who right exactly is that for? Is your next door neighbor? For themselves. Yeah, exactly. Right, and I'm like, who? Seriously, who's that? It's not like you know, it's on the side of your car and or on the back of your whatever driving down the freeway. No, your house is you know we can't see your house. What's the um? What's the overall uh, makeup uh, in terms of that? According to my area, according to my barber, fifty fifty. Oh really? Interesting. Yes. According to the barber, it's fifty-fifty, and okay. really, really, the there's only a couple of people who seem to wear it on their sleeves around here. Other than that, mm-hmm. it's everybody just does their own thing, and I and I prefer that, right? So let's not have all the. They had some local signs out during a, a recent election, but really, it's everybody just kind of keeps it themselves when it comes to that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, um, it's funny they, they, where where I live here, you know, obviously the Boston area it's it's very blue and and the town that we live in is 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 very is exceedingly blue and and you know, me and a buddy of mine were out uh, walking our dogs this afternoon and we were having this conversation about did you see that 
that truck that with the Trump sign and the American flag. I mean, they talk about that when that happens here. It's like a phenomenon. It's like mm. some guy with a Trump sign was in our neighborhood. And it's like and that's how sort of like um, far away from that we are where we are here. So that's, you know, something to be thankful for, I guess. Yeah, we had they're building a house across the street and some of the construction workers or whatever they had a, a Trump sign or a Trump flag, you know, on their their pickup truck or whatever and um you know, we're not shy about voicing displeasure about such things and yeah, <laughs> we we haven't seen it since. So um but okay. yeah, but yeah, there there are a couple of people in the neighborhood, you know, there's there's a lot of like retirees here right this is a retirement community so there's there's probably a lot of ex-military here so you see a lot of american flags and that kind of thing a lot of um you know military signage in people's yards which is really cool there's a a, a person down the street uh appears to be a former marine and up until uh the time the weather shifted for winter he had like these these wooden airplanes like military airplanes uh like staked in the ground in his front yard they're these models they're, they're made out of wood. They're really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so stuff like that, you see a lot of people here have, uh, the pirate motif going on, right. Or, okay. or some kind of seafaring motif. So, you know, us, us former squids, uh, that live here, you know, find that kind of neat. There's like replica lighthouses all over town and, um, you know, Gorton fisherman statues. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, you know, um, That's great. Yeah, all the streets are named after something. Most of them are named after some kind of uh, seafaring something or other. Um, you know, we've got a narwhal loop, and you know, we actually have something named like Mizzen Street, like Mizzen Mast kind of thing, right? So, oh wow, okay, yeah, it's yeah, very it's nautical, very very nautical. Yeah, um, and then some named after. Additionally, uh, to, to Narwhal, you know, we got like razor clam drive cause razor clams are big here. And so we've got all that going on seafood and seafaring. So, um, right. and, and, you know, it was the Irish that came and fucked it all up. So, um, <laughs> you know, it used to be a lot of, a lot more native American presence here, the local high school there, the high which is a native American word. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a Galway Bay Irish pub down the street and there's an actual Galway Bay in Ireland. Um, right on the on the west coast so um yeah it's uh it's an interesting place to live it's it's very austere very quiet except when the frogs are fucking in the backyard but it seems it seems like it's a big change of uh of location for you from where you came from because it sounds like you were before you were very much in like suburbia yes right very very much in suburbia right and uh you know we didn't call them subdivisions but that's basically what they were and 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 they all had most of them had little names uh mine had a name and i couldn't tell you what it was um and uh, yeah, it's uh, where I lived. All the streets were named after actors. So I lived on Hepburn Street. There was Cagney Way. Um, <laughs> you know, even even Mary Pickford had a street named after her. It was so like old school actors. You're not going to see like a Clooney Street or a uh... no, no, no. This is all this is all uh, you know classic Hollywood, right? There were uh, yeah, yeah. then there was a Monroe, right, for Marilyn Monroe, and yeah, yeah. sure. So that was my neighborhood. So it was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, very much suburbia. Right. Every, every yep. all the houses were cookie cutter. They all looked the same, same floor plan, all built in 1992. Uh, when we first moved there, everybody had a dish for dish network. Cause I guess yep. they had done a sign up drive and everybody signed oh, up. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Right. So, uh, here in ocean shores, you would not believe 
the breadth of architecture, the variety of architecture here is is everything from bungalows and cottages to, um, you know, mid-century modern, uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff here. And uh, it, it's really um, something you notice right away. But, you know, yeah. uh, it's funny. The only three stories are right by the beach. So because you can't get that close to the beach with a house. So, um, okay. you know, you get that third floor so you get the view. Yep. So right, right. Well, Chris, as we always do here on the Get the Knack podcast, on your monthly appearance, we talk about all things pop culture. Lots of stuff going on, and I know you haven't seen it yet, so we won't go too much into detail on this. But just saw the Batman last night, which the Batman is all the rage right now. Robert Pattinson plays uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, Jeffrey Lewis plays uh, Jim Gordon. Not quite the commissioner yet. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of good performances, uh, in the film, uh, Zoe Kravitz plays uh, Catwoman. Um, and, uh, you know, this thing has really, uh, kind of, it's kind of funny because, you know, we were talking about it before we started the show about Spider-Man was all the rage a few weeks back and it was a great film in its own right. Yeah. Right. Fantastic sure. film. And now you've got the Batman, which <sighs> maybe for all comic book movies, not just DC has, has set a new bar and it's basically set the internet on fire the last couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, before we started recording, we were talking about the, the noir elements of it, which I think is great. And I think that, you know, it just kind of shows how far these types of movies have come in that they're not, you know, they, a lot of them have a sort of depth to them that you wouldn't have predicted you know, 20 years ago. Um, and, and I think that's really, I think it's good at sort of like keep getting people drawn into it, but also keeping them there. Um, and you mentioned the, the, the new Spider-Man. I mean, we, we saw it, um, last weekend and one of the things that I was really surprised at, pleasantly surprised at is, and you saw it, right? You saw yeah the, the last Spider-Man. What, yeah. what, what I, when I was, what, what struck me was it's really funny you know, I mean, there's a lot of humor in it and especially the whole idea of um, bringing the three Spider-Man together, you know, the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland and all the stuff that they that, that happens to them based on this sort of situation that they're in. And it's and it's great in a sort of action movie sense and it's great and it's full of adventure and all that other stuff. But it's also really funny. And I think that was one of the things that kind of drew me into it as someone who's not a huge fan of the genre. It really just like I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, and what I liked about that that element of it, it was very well written. The dialogue yeah, yeah, yeah. was snappy, and, and as you said, there was humor to it. But you know, they really played off each other very well. Exactly right, and and you could tell they all bought into this concept of you know the three Spider Men from the multiverse meeting, and it doesn't take them long to fall in with each other. Right. Right. Exactly. They all have similar uh, trait character traits. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were talking about it. There's, there, there's a definite noir element to the Batman. What I like about it is, um, you know, it, it's layered and it's really, really good storytelling. It's, it's probably the fastest three hour movie you're ever going to sit through. And what's funny is you get to that end and you're like, I want more story. I, I don't want this movie to end. I want, wow. I'm, I'm drawn into this world now. Right. So what's next? What's going to happen next? What's the evolution of the character? Um, 
And so they obviously set this up with with sequels in mind. Y- you would think, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's not one of those to be continued kind of things like Dune just was. I don't know if you've seen right, the new right. Dune, right? Not yet. Right, but they the way they're doing it is they're they're purposely doing you know chapters, kind of like kind of like they did with uh, Stephen King's It, right? Part one, part two, or chapter one and chapter two. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. With, with this, it's setting up a, a Robert Pattinson to play Batman in multiple films. Um, as they did with Christian Bale. So, you know, my issue with Batman and, you know, I'm no comic book expert. I know a few and, you know, they'll all tell you when you bring this up as an issue is it's comic books, man. You can do whatever you want is when you go back, if you, if you like go, go to Wikipedia and look up like DC comics history, right. From the beginning, it splits off into this earth one earth two thing. Right now, now we're we're getting into alternate dimensions or universes or whatever. Right, almost from the beginning. So right. the problem with Batman is there's no through line. And over mm-hmm. the years, all these different artists and writers and whatnot were able to do their own take on it. It's almost like like the Cthulhu mythos, right? Everybody could jump in on Lovecraft's idea and write whatever they wanted, and he allowed them to. Same thing with Batman here. Um, that was the whole thing with with the Christian Bale movies. Christopher Nolan grabbed this character arc or this story arc and turned it into three movies. Right. Right. So I don't yeah. know what the, the plan is with this, but uh, really, really well done. Uh, Andy Serkis plays uh, Alfred Pennyworth in it, the butler. Um, yes. You know, I saw I actually saw a clip from that because um, he was on Colbert a few uh, earlier this week and they showed a clip of him. In that in the movie, so yeah, yeah, John Turturro's in it, and I really like him, like him and everything he does. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, here's another Stephen King connection. Secret window, uh, secret, secret, secret window, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it didn't I, take long. No, 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 no. <laughs> and we, we were going to get there anyway with with another topic, but um, you know, there's just uh, you know, right now seems to be uh, fertile ground for uh, for some movies coming out. You know, we talked about Nightmare Alley. I don't know if you had a chance to see it yet. Um, no, not yet. Yeah, uh, I want to talk to you about that one when, when it does when you do get a chance to see it. Um, mm-hmm. I recently watched the Two Jakes, which is the sequel to Chinatown. I had seen it before, yep. but it had been years. Yeah, me too. Right, a while ago. Yeah, so I mean, you and I uh, share that that love of film noir, and uh, you know that that qualifies as neo noir. Chinatown's considered a masterpiece of neo noir, and we uh, we talked about LA oh, Confidential yeah, recently. Um, so. Sure. You know, again, back with the the noir elements. But uh, another uh, comic book movie coming out is Morbius, uh, with Jared Leto taking on uh, the character of Michael Morbius, the living vampire. Um, in the comic books, Morbius yeah. is actually a so, Spider-Man villain. Yeah, I saw the I saw the trailer for Morbius when we saw Spider-Man. Yeah, and uh, it looks really interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. It's one of those characters that. You know, I'm a big fan of, of bringing out characters from the comic books you might not be familiar with. And comic book mm-hmm. fans would be familiar with this. And I and I know with, with the Batman, you know, it's the Penguin, it's the Joker. You know, we have all of those. Um, you know, I really want to see more villains brought out that we're not familiar with. And I think I think Michael Morbius is, is a perfect example of one that, um, you know, there's a lot of depth to that character and they can do a lot of fun things with it. So that'll be interesting. Um, 
Not sure what else uh, is coming out. Uh, I know Uncharted is in theaters now. It's based on a video game. That's Tom Holland's latest movie uh, yep. with Mark Wahlberg. You know, Mark Wahlberg played by Mark Wahlberg. Um, <laughs> the guy has no range. We used to talk about Keanu Reeves not having any range. Talk about somebody who plays the same damn character. He can't get away with it like a Morgan Freeman can. Right. right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a different, that's a different, that's a different, uh, I mean, he gets away with it because it, it, Morgan Freeman's character is so, I don't know, I don't know if likable is the word, but I mean, it, 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 people, people like him and Mark Wahlberg can be annoying. I don't, I don't think anybody's, I don't think anybody's ever accused Morgan Freeman of being annoying. I mean, he's just not, he's just there, you know? It's, right. Right. He's and- just there narrating. Yeah, <laughs> even when he's the main character, he's just mm-hmm. he's just mm-hmm. the narrator, just getting us through the through the script. But yeah, right. he's one of those guys that you know he's been playing the same character for twenty five years and nobody says anything. And yeah, it doesn't I would matter. agree. Yeah, he's a detective. He's God. He's but he's the same thing every time. But you know, Wahlberg Wahlberg can be annoying, but it looks like a fun like action adventure movie. Uh, I'm hearing there's a new Indiana Jones movie in the works. That's uh, again, yeah, they just wrapped filming, so it's actually going to happen this time. Um, so, me being a big fan of the franchise, we'll see how that goes. Um, some of the stuff on on TV though that's really coming up that's going to be really interesting. And I'm sure you've seen the trailer. I don't know if you have Paramount Plus or not, but the new Halo series is coming. Okay. Live, live action based on the video game franchise. Um, I played Halo 2 and 3. Really, really enjoyed them. Um, and uh, it's uh, it, it was one of those early Xbox exclusive games that helped make the, the Xbox um, a really viable game console to have at the time. Right, and uh, yeah, I re- I remember hearing about it. Yeah, got to go watch the trailer, and then there's there's some commercials that came out around the Super Bowl that that kind of, uh, you know, everybody's looking forward to it, and they're making fun of the theme song and and all this other stuff. But <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of funny. People are like singing it, and people walking through the frame going, "What the hell is that? Oh, that's the Halo theme song." Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to. And then you know, back to the the whole Stephen King reference. There's a show um, that a high school friend of mine uh, from back home in Rochester pointed out to me. She's like, "You got to watch From on Epics, and it has this total Salem's Lot vibe to it. If you get a chance to uh, to check it out, uh, you know, it's, uh, wait till the whole thing's up. Get a free trial for Epics. Watch the whole thing." Um, Chapel Wait was another uh, direct Stephen King adaptation or yep. or extrapolation um, that's uh, that's on Epics uh, starring Adrian Brody. I hear there's a second season in the works for that. And then, uh, but From is it's really it's kind of unique but familiar all at the same time, and uh, does definitely have a Salem's Lot vibe to it. And uh, I recommend you checking that out. What are you watching? What's uh, what's on the, uh, the old streaming and DVR in the Ingalls household? Um, I have not been watching too much lately. I've actually been rewatch. You know, it's weird. We have Peacock now, um, which we got just in a moment of weakness. And because uh, <laughs> I told myself I. I was going to ease up on streaming. Um, I actually have been dipping into old Law and Order episodes, which is it's the funny thing about it is that I, I mean, I was a huge, huge fan back in the day, um, and one of the things that I notice whenever I'm watching something that is sort of 
network TV show, you you realize that you've been spoiled by stuff like HBO, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a it's a bit unfortunate, but it's fun to watch in kind of a kind of a guilty pleasure way. Um, I actually I you know I've just been a lot of the kind of you know I'm I'm. I'm back with, you know, I, I watch John Oliver every week now that he's back. And that's actually a very, you know, it's a, it's a really good experience to, to catch that every week and just kind of get caught up on stuff. But in terms of just kind of like dramatic stuff, I have not been watching anything. The thing is, is that it's just like, you know, I think we mentioned this one time before is that I, I don't, um, there's so much out there and it's really hard <laughs> to, and that's one of the reasons why I don't really want to do another streaming because I feel like, there's so much already on what I have now. Um, but I think that I think that I really need to just kind of like, you know, just just pick something and just kind of get 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 sucked into it. Um, it's just hard because my life isn't really designed to do like binging, you know, like watching show after show after show, because, you know, I'm live with someone who can't watch a lot of the really intense stuff, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that. um I, I think hopefully next time we talk, I'll have some new stuff to report on. But I just uh, have not been into a lot of stuff recently. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. It just, no, it, you know, no. because, you know, it, I, I was laughing as, as you said that because it's paralyzing. I can't tell you how many nights I sit there with the remote in my hand, flipping through and just reading descriptions. Yes, yes. Right. Okay. Eh, yep. That looks interesting. I'll come back to it. Uh, eh, maybe. And then you just click, click, click. Next thing you know, you're onto another streaming service and right. you're like, well, nothing here I want to watch. Next thing you know, I'm on Tubi for free. Uh, yeah. Something I don't pay for. I'm like, well, I got Prime. I got, <laughs> I got Epix. Right. I got Paramount. I got, I got all of these, these things. I got, you know, Netflix. I'm like, but no, I'm over here watching. There's a. I downloaded an app for a, a Spanish language one because they had all these classic Universal horror films on there. And oh wow! Right, so you get them. You get them in English with Spanish subtitles, and you can turn the subtitles off. So it's like, and they're free. I'm like, okay, right. This is this is getting a little ridiculous. Um, I've been trying to watch some documentaries. Uh, there's one on Netflix called. Uh, uh, what's it called catching killers or something like that. And what okay. it is, it's really, really interesting um, because what they do is they bring in the detectives and other key players that were involved in, in bringing these serial killers to heal. Okay. And you know, some of them like screwed up at the time. Like there's one, they, uh, they railroaded the, this, these two people for a crime they didn't commit. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the guy who did it still running around killing people. Um, and oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, there, there's some on there you, you, you've heard of, right. There's, uh, the happy face killer, uh, Eileen Warnos is featured. Oh yeah. Monster. Yeah. yeah right. So, um, and they go into detail uh, about, you know, just how it started, how these detectives got involved or even an assistant district attorney in one case and they interview them and they talk about them and, um, 
you know, they even, you know, show footage of the tri- some of the trials or interviews with some of the folks in, in prison. Um, what I find interesting is I've moved to a place where serial killers are pretty prevalent because Ted Bundy operated up here, the sure. Green, Green River killer we had some yeah. time back, and then we also had the Happy Face killer was was not too far. That was down uh, down in Oregon. Um, well, and you had um, where you where you came from wasn't too far from Zodiac, right? Wasn't he in that area? Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. San Francisco, right? And then where I grew up in Rochester, we had Arthur Shawcross, and the, he was pretty bad. And then there was another guy. He was the double initial killer. And so if you your name had, you know, your first and last name had the same initial, uh, he went after you. Uh, so <laughs> That's a very strange. Very specific. <laughs> very specific. specific. Extremely. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting show. I recommend that. Um, there's another show that I found interesting, and it's a National Geographic thing, and it's on. I want to say it's on Disney Plus. And so there's this this guy, and it's funny because the guy's got one leg, so he's out there with a prosthetic, and he makes you feel like a yutz for sitting on the couch watching him because he's climbing Machu Picchu while you're sitting there eating popcorn, and you know, but what they do is he, his whole thing is the lost cities, right? So he's going to all these different places, actually making some new discoveries, like about the Knights Templar and, and all kinds of, you know, like truly lost civilizations, like in the, the Pacific, uh, Southern Southwestern Pacific ocean, you know, some Island tribes or whatever. And what they do is they recreate what it would have looked like using augmented reality overlays, it's almost like a, the Drain the Oceans show. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen that one. Very mm-hmm. similar to that. And it's really, really interesting because the guy's going all over the place. He's actually making new discoveries. It's not like, yeah, they're covering her in the same ground that other people have. But through his technology, they're using like uh, laser mapping drones and all this high-tech stuff. And he's actually making new discoveries, which I find really, really interesting. And then they show it all with a uh, with this AR overlay and show you what it what it would have looked like 800, 1200 years ago. It's pretty cool. Oh wow, that is cool. Yep, and uh, you know, heaven forbid we learn anything at our our old age. Don't you got a birthday coming up like soon? Uh, yeah, Tuesday the eighth is my birthday. Oh so. Jesus Christ! I knew it was like soon, but I didn't realize it was like this Tuesday. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it's not a not a milestone or anything like that. But um, and I am doing something that I don't normally do. I'm, I'm taking the day off. I mean, I'm not. I'm just. I don't really usually do like anything like that. But I figured it's a Tuesday. Fuck it. I'm just taking the day off. And uh, I don't even really have any plans. It's just going to be. I don't know. I might might go to a record store or something like that. I don't know. But you know, uh, yeah. You know, when I go to record stores, I find shit for you. So I don't understand how that works, but whatever. I was actually in a record store. Actually, we went to, um, I don't know if you, Newbury Comics is a famous uh, chain in New England and they have a big, the mothership, their main store is in downtown Boston and we were there. And it's funny because it used to be, well, it's it's Newbury Comics. I mean, they started uh, being mostly a comic book store, but then they expanded to like records and CDs and stuff. And I went in there with my son um, on uh, last night and it's, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, Funko pops and all this other sort mm. of like kitschy, kitschy stuff, which is fine because they still have a lot of records, but it's sort of like, this is sort of like one of the places now where we can both go and find something like cool. So that's cool. So he got, um, you know, he got one, he got a, um, 
some Sonic the Hedgehog thing, of course, and then I got a Miles Davis record. So we all won, you know. Right. And I was listening to Miles Davis on my Alexa today. So go figure, right? Yeah. So, how about that? Yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Cause I'm sure I've got some Miles Davis in the cabinet over here somewhere. But uh, but yeah, speaking of birthdays, something I wanted to, to bring up, I'll, I'll shanghai you with this one a little bit. Um, speaking of birthdays in March, uh, coming up... Um, a week from today, March 12th, Jack mm-hmm. Kerouac was born in your neck of the woods in Lowell, Massachusetts. Lowell, Massachusetts. It would have been his 100th birthday. We all know he didn't make it uh, past 47. So right. had, he, had he not you know, died then, I don't think he would have lasted much longer. Poor guy drank him. Uh, poor guy. Uh, Kerouac drank <laughs> himself to death. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of activities um, planned for, uh, Kerouac's birthday coming up uh, this month, this being the centennial. I read mm-hmm. the uh, commercial release of On the Road uh, not that long ago. I had read the original scroll version, uh, you know, before that. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of anything of uh, that's going on uh, up your way uh, as far as Kerouac celebrations and that kind of thing. But I know. No, I mean, he's he's you know, he's he's very much I think people are, are very much aware of his heritage here but it's funny because it's kind of like lowell is is far enough away from boston where you wouldn't even consider it like the boston area so i wouldn't necessarily consider him a bostonian so much as a a massachusetts born and he was raised here too i think right yes he lived here yeah um but uh, i'm sure you know i'm sure in lowell he's one of i think he's one of the most famous people to come out of lowell and lowell is like the third biggest city in massachusetts i think um fun fact ed mcmahon is also from lowell so did not know that <laughs> yeah i believe i'm about 99 percent sure that he was from um actually i'm like looking it up right now he was uh oh you know he was born in detroit but i think he was raised in lowell okay so so close enough but uh yeah yeah so but yeah i think that i'm sure that they're doing something at his birthplace i'm sure that they do some something like in his hometown there's this whole um there's this um i i think like uh years ago like bob dylan and alan ginsburg made a pilgrimage to his gravesite, and there's actually yes. footage yeah of of them like you know uh <laughs> jamming or whatever um but uh yeah it's uh, i mean you're you're more of a you're, you're more of a uh Kerouac scholar than I am. I mean, I read on the road. I read Dharma Bums. Um, I think that's it. Um, and I read those not too long ago, within the last like 10, 15 years. Yeah. It's funny, uh, because a lot of people read Kerouac, you know, coming out of high school and, and, you know, when they first go to college and whatnot, and you and I had, you know, kind of unconventional, uh, forays into the adult working world. So, uh, I didn't start reading Kerouac until I was in my forties, but, um, Mm. you know, I've, it was so funny because I knew of the beats, knew about them long before that, was a fan of them as people as opposed to anything they'd ever written. And then just, you know, reading their stuff really cemented that. And what I what I always find fascinating is people want to label them as subversive or, or this, that, or the other thing. Kerouac mm-hmm. was in love with America and the idea of America. And, and he wrote of the America he saw on his travels. And... Mm-hmm it's it's really fascinating when when people try to label him you know a certain way when you know the guy just he just wanted to live but he was so grounded by catholic guilt and his catholic upbringing the guy tried to live in two different worlds and all he ever wanted was success as a writer but then when he got it it killed him yeah well that's that's you know uh 
it's it's a, it's it's a sad situation and i think that it's it's sort of like sometimes no matter how much you try to break away from it i think that you're you know the the what you were brought up with tends to kind of like overtake you you know you speak of like catholic guilt and i think that that's something that probably affected a lot of a lot of famous people and, and probably wrecked them i mean that's I, I don't know if that's a really good plug for religion or not but uh, it is what it is um but yeah that's i mean that's it's yeah it's 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 and it's so you said he was 47? 47, yeah. Died, yeah. died in 1969. I, I wonder, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like you wonder what he would have done had he lived a lot longer. I mean, he was certainly older than like, say, Kurt Cobain or somebody like that. But, you know, people like that, you always wonder. They had so much to, to offer. But and here's the thing they, with what him. What would they have done? Yeah. Right, right. You're right. But at the same time, go watch – uh, some interviews with like Lawrence Ferlinghetti on YouTube and like the last he was time, like a hundred or something when he died. Right? Yeah. Like two years ago yeah. or, or a year ago. Um, Ferlinghetti said that, um, you know, when, when, uh, even when Big Sur came out, Kerouac was, was, you know, a tired, he called him a tired young drunk. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I think at that point, because of the fame from on the road, just one book, right? Yeah, he couldn't handle the fame, and I don't think he produced much, um, you know, except for the couple of books right after that. Uh, the Dharma Bums, they wanted, you know, the sequel to On the Road right away, and then yeah. and then the Subterraneans came right after that. And what I didn't like about Subterraneans was it was all about the underground scene in New York and they changed it to San Francisco and Oakland because, you know, everybody was so enamored with On the Road. Um, and then when he writes Big Sur in 1962, you know, this is the beginning of the end. This this is his old man in the sea. Yeah. Right. This is the fuck you. I can still write. I'm, but he's going through DTs in Ferlinghetti's cabin, still hanging yeah. out with Neil Cassidy, who's like in, in, uh, you know, just south of San Jose at the time. And, you know, just all goes off the rails from there. And then he's dead five years later or seven years later. You know, when he go look at, some, I mean, some of the interviews on YouTube with him, you know, um, in the mid sixties when he's, he's only 42 years old, but he looks, he's, he's bloated he's defeated. Yeah. I don't think he had much more to offer unless he, unless he dried out. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you would, you would hope that that would have been the case Like he would have dried out and, you know, and, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's the whole thing where, you know, people, they talk about people who, you know, like write really well, or they, they get a lot of inspiration from pain or from addiction. And, you know, I think that's kind of bullshit in some ways, but, um, you know, there's something to be said for, it's like, you know, if he would have sobered up, what would his, what would his books have been like, you know, after that, you know, but we'll never know. But he wrote on the road on Benzedrine in three weeks. So he, <laughs> I mean, yeah. hey, I don't your, think you can yeah. pick your exactly. poison. Right. I mean, exactly. you know, but I think, you know, the myth of him and, and I'll just kind of leave it at that because that, that wasn't the whole purpose of the, the whole show here. Um, but what I'll leave it at, I always thought he was conflicted because he yeah. had that conservative Catholic upbringing. And, yeah. and he writes so eloquently when he talks about shuffling after people that had always interested him. And I think when you read things like the Dharma bombs uh, and even the subterraneans, he's he's in the room. He's on the fringe, but he's not the life of the party, right? right? He never fully commits to that life of hedonism and and debauchery that he's inserted himself into. 
and right. I think I think his his upbringing always kept him from that. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he was. It sort of like kept it. it he sort of kept it at arm's length to some extent. Yeah, and, and of the guilt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was this this uh, fantastic observer. He was a a, a voyeur, and mm-hmm. and and I really, you know, he said on the Steve Allen show in 1959. Well, even like the. Uh, the intro at the time to On the Road was, you know, he believed in what he saw. Yeah. And, you know, talk about some serious, I mean, semi-autobiographical, but also observational stuff, uh, you know, the likes of which we see more often now because he laid the groundwork for it, but it was stuff nobody had seen up to that point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was, he was, he was a trailblazer and uh, yeah, nobody had seen that before. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, and I think you know one of the writers that I've I've learned to appreciate um, in his wake is Charles Bukowski, and mm-hmm. you know that observational style. There's there's a lot more pain and and suffering and history to his pain and suffering there, uh, but you know the humor, the the observations of daily life and and finding something funny in them, even in in the darkest moments of your life. Uh, I find fascinating. And what I was going to say about that was you were talking earlier about the, the humor in Spider-Man. There's some humorous moments in the Batman as well, even in dark, <laughs> deep, dark scenes. And I had a conversation with somebody recently about this when it comes to humor. I was a guest on uh, uh, Aaron Chapman's show. I've, I've talked to, about her before. She has a YouTube mm-hmm. show. We were talking about American Werewolf in London. We were talking about John Landis. Yep. And she uh-huh. said, I didn't know if this was a comedy or a horror movie. I said, even in deepest, darkest horror, there's humor. There's humor yeah. in everyday life. Right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. There's you got to find something to laugh at or you're going to lose your fucking mind. It's funny. I, I think that did we talk about American Werewolf London last time, or was that was I talking to somebody else? I talked to somebody about it. Well, it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that we have discussed it on this program. Yeah, it's funny because it's it's and I love that movie too. And I I, I think the first time I saw it, I was probably too young to see it. I think the first time I saw it was on HBO. I was probably like thirteen. I saw but, it in the um, theater at eleven. Oh my God. Um, my mother would have never allowed that. <laughs> but anyway, um, the, I think that that movie is a perfect example of mixing comedy and horror. It's just, it, it works perfectly because one minute you're laughing your ass off the next minute. It's like, Holy shit, that was creepy. You know what I mean? And, and I think that Landis, I'm not, not a huge, necessarily huge fan of John Landis. I'm kind of hot and cold with him, but I think that he struck the perfect chord with that movie. I mean, it just, it just perfectly fits. So, uh, and, and, you know, very rewatchable. I saw it the last time I saw it was within the last like five years or so. And it's, it holds up. It yes, really does. Yes. It still plays. And, uh, what's so funny about it is David Naughton goes from being the Dr. Pepper guy. Mm-hmm. I'm a pepper. He's a pepper. Yep. She's a, right? Yeah. He was the guy. Right. Yep. And every film decision he made after American Werewolf in London was shit. Oh, yeah. Well, that was basically it. I mean, that was his only real solid movie. I mean, he goes on to do Hot Dog the Movie after that. <laughs> right. What are you trying to say? That that's a bad movie? <laughs> <laughs> and there's your superhero movie connection because Jenny Augutter, who plays Nurse Price, who's the mm-hmm. love interest, she goes on to the Avengers movies. She's uh she's on that council. She's always in okay. one of those shadowy figures, you know? 
Okay. When uh, when Nick Fury is always consulting that that council that comes up on the video screens, she's one of them. So anyway, she was in Logan's Run as well with Michael York, one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made, with all which also <laughs> led to a television series. Um, but uh, no, I think I think humor is very very important. Um, you know, and, and as I've said on other shows, uh, we call it comic relief. But in in you know, let's go back to Fright Night, right? Evil Ed for crying out loud. Evil Ed was the guy I used to get so much shit in high school because I looked like him. Oh, Jesus. That's all right. People, when I was growing up, said I looked like Eddie Haskell, but that's got nothing to do with anything. He was Evil Ed was my high school doppelganger. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, but he was funny, right? Yeah. I mean, so you yeah, got Lost Boys, one of the greatest vampire films ever made. You got the Frog Brothers. You, they're funny, right? These things are, you got to have these moments. Um, you know, or else you will crack up and, and go over the edge. And I think there's plenty of people in this world that don't have a sense of humor. And that's, that's part of why things get blown up. Um, you, uh, life is funny. And, and usually some of that humor does come in, in your darkest moments. And if you can't, you got to be able to laugh at them. You really do. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you don't like in, even in my own stuff, even my own writing, you know, I wrote, three vampire novels there's decidedly humor interwoven some is accidental it just kind of happened as i was writing and some i, I purposely injected i thought well this is yep. really dark we need to lighten this up a little bit um <laughs> you know i need to crack yeah. a joke here sure but no well. i mean yeah stephen king it has frequently hilarious you know oh i yeah it's... i i you know especially with with writers like stephen king uh, it's it's often a turn of phrase or a pop culture reference or yeah. you know there's there's something there that that does it makes you chuckle it makes you laugh and you're like <laughs> um, and you know some writers will make you laugh out loud and you know I think that also helps develop your connection to the story and your connection to the author right right yeah exactly and I think that one of the things that King does is that I mean he's very much a writer of his generation. And that's why I think a lot of the stuff that he writes about concerns children who were growing up in when he was a child, like it. I mean, he's very much tuned into whatever the pop culture was of say it or stand by me, you know, like whatever time, like late fifties or early sixties or whatever. And I think that really kind of like brings you closer to who he is as a person. Cause you get to almost kind of like you're growing up with him while you're watching this stuff. Yeah. I'll buy that. And yeah. uh, you know, and what the conclusion I've come to is, boy, was he bullied. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Just so what, a, do th- what do you think he turned to books? You know? Yeah, I mean, right. Just just a to, little to bit. Escape. Yeah. Well, he had to he had to exercise those those demons. But you know, like you said, John Landis is one of those guys that yeah, his stuff's hit and miss. He's become more of a a film expert, a film critic uh, mm-hmm. these days rather than a filmmaker. We lost Ivan Reitman not that long mm-hmm. ago, and I don't think you and I right. have had a chance to talk about that. Um, no. guys like Landis, Reitman, they're older than us, you know, by, mm-hmm. by anywhere from 10 to 25 years. But mm-hmm. what these guys did in the seventies laid the groundwork for some of the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. And it's stuff that still plays animal house, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Caddyshack movies like this, that, you know, stripes stuff we used to sneak to watch on cable at you know midnight after our parents had gone to bed and we're we're changing channels when we hear footsteps um 
Right. It's the only way I get to watch Stripes. It's the only way I got to see Carlin at Carnegie Hall. All my friends at school were talking about it. I'm like, I haven't seen that yet, and I got to sneak to watch it. Um, but, you know, guys like Ivan Reitman and John Landis, I mean, these guys are, you know, you can't call them a soundtrack because it's not music, but there's, you know, they're they're like the script to our childhood. Yeah, the playlist, whatever. Yeah, however you want to put it. But, um, you know, they help develop our sense of humor and, and our taste in things and, you know, it, it was sad to hear that Ivan Reitman passed away, especially with the recent success of, of the new Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, because um, that was that was written by his son or directed by his son. Yeah, right? Jason. Yeah, and um, I don't know what, if anything, Ivan had to do with that one. Probably mostly just inspiration. Probably got an executive producer credit or something at least. But uh, yeah, I, I um, watched that fairly recently, maybe a month ago. And was really that I think it really set the right tone. I thought it was a really good mix of sort of, you know, it, it was funny in a lot of spaces, in a lot of places, but um, also just like really good tension, really good suspense. Um, I thought that was I thought it was really good. I was impressed. Yeah, and I liked how they did Spengler because it, yeah. if, if you let him talk, it would have ruined it. Right. Exactly. And yeah. he was just kind of this presence in the film. You know, before you could see him, you knew he was there and you knew at some point it was going to happen. And I really liked how they, they mixed in, you know, race dance and, and Venkman and, and Winston's Zedmore. Yeah. It wasn't too much. And right. the movie wasn't really about them. Their presence was for us to say goodbye to Harold Ramis and give us the, the third movie we all wanted. Yeah. And, right. you know. Um, I go back to the original Ghostbusters film. If the special effects held up, it would be a perfect movie. Mm -hmm. You know, but for the, I mean, with the music, the casting, the, I mean, it just, it's one of those movies where the, the character development just happens. And I, I can't even describe where that movie sits in my my brain and my love of movies. It's one of my favorites. I watch it almost whenever I see it come on television. Um, the second movie, not quite as good, but still really damn good. Peter McNichol steals, chews the scenery every time he's on screen. Uh, well, it's interesting. I, I, I'm sure I saw the second one at some point, but if I did, it was not nearly as many times as I saw the first one. So, um, you know, and I think that was probably the case with a lot of people. Well, I'll give you my Peter McNichol, right? It's Vigo! You're like the buzzing of flies to him! Right, Yeah. right, right. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, yeah but of course But obviously know. not as many times as the first one. Although the first one, interestingly enough, I don't think... I don't remember if I saw it in the theater or not. I must have. I mean, it was one of those movies... I mean, you remember when it came out, everybody was talking about it. It yeah. was the movie. Yep. Um, and it, it was the summer the, blockbuster. And it had the, the catchy theme song. It had Ray Parker Jr. And then, you know... I mean, Sigourney Weaver was well on her way to being a, a box office star after Alien in 79. Yep, sure, Ghostbusters sure. comes out in 84. Um, you know, so, um, you know, RIP to Ivan Reitman, one of the uh, one of the script writers of, of my childhood and somebody who created some of the funniest, most loved movies ever made. Yeah, sure. I'll right? go with that. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking about Kerouac, but just talking about books in general, I don't know what, what you're reading. And I wanted to talk about this because I had an interesting experience with 
uh, Dean Koontz novels recently. And some time ago, I, I don't remember what bookstore I was in, but I found a copy of Servants of Twilight that was written in 1984, and Koontz had written it under a pseudonym at the time. Uh, and it got re it was originally called Twilight, and then it got reissued as Servants of Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just read his brand new one called Quicksilver. Just came out, bought it right like hot off the press. Just finished that one today, mm-hmm. and is really interesting. <clears throat> I'm more probably intimately involved in the evolution of King's writing, even though I count Kuntz as as my favorite author. Um, but it's amazing, and maybe not so because it's so much time. But it's interesting to see somebody's writing evolve over the course of, say, 35, 40 years. Yeah, sure. And what I found interesting, and, and there's this Dean Coons group I'm in and I and I, I on Facebook and I posted about it. And there's there's mixed feelings about this book. If you go back and you read the descriptions of the the female main character the descriptions of a particular love scene uh, is very cringy if you look at it from today's perspective. And we've talked about this before. You know, I'm not a fan of litigating history. I always look at whatever I'm watching or reading through the lens of that day. How could I ever watch my favorite movie of all time? The 1933 King Kong, if I didn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, you've got, you've got, um, Stereo, bad stereotype natives, and then you got an oversexed ape taking the clothes off of the white woman. It, it just, right. right, I mean, it's some cringy stuff. Sure. But I look at it as, you know, a groundbreaking avant-garde film that, you know, laid the groundwork for so many that came after it. When you read these two books, that I mean, talk about night and day difference. Obviously, Kuntz has learned over the years what you can and cannot do. And, yeah. and how much better and how much different the descriptions are today versus 1984. I don't know how I would have felt had I read this book in 1984, considering we were all, you know, trying to look at our neighbor's Playboy collection and in the, in the <laughs> garage and, you know, sneak peeks at porno films. And we're watching what we affectionately called Skinamax. You know, when, when Cinemax used to put the, the softcore porn on in, in the middle of yeah, the night. Late night, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? And and everybody you knew that was older that worked on cars had, you know, um, you know, uh, centerfold pictures on their wall in their garage. Um, mm-hmm. Right? I mean, so it's it's really, really interesting to see see the difference just in, in how the descriptions were uh, written then and now and how that same very same same writer has changed over the years it was it was fascinating exploration of these two different styles yeah but, yeah that's that's interesting it's an interesting situation too when you kind of like revisiting an author or whatever and uh especially someone like Koontz has been around as long as he has you know I and mean, he's you know gone through so many changes i'm sure in terms of like his style or any you know whatever yeah because i don't remember any you know, characters uh, in the stuff he wrote in the nineties and early two thousands is being sexualized or hypersexualized at all. And, um, you know, I mean, the eighties were a time when, and again, you had a, a different experience uh, growing up, you spent time in France and, and did a mm-hmm. lot of different mm-hmm. things. Uh, those of us who grew up in, you know, uh, middle-class America uh, had a different, 
different experience. And it's always funny. I, I was looking at one of these listicles the other day talking about the 50 cringiest movies ever made. And, <laughs> and, and 16 candles was on that list. And right. there's some cringy ass shit in that movie. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly which, I mean, the one thing I can think of off the top of my head is the, is the, the foreign exchange students, you know, which is, yeah, right. Didn't they have that? Like, didn't, wasn't there a student, like an Asian student? Yeah. Yeah. Which was like, you know, a lot of like really bad stereotypes, but I mean, it was the eighties. I mean, they were doing that shit so much there. Nobody like really saw a problem with it because it was 40 years ago or whatever. But there was also, you know, some, some damn near date rape scene. Right. Sure. sure. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and, uh, Anthony Michael Hall is, is, uh, happy. He stole some girl's panties. I, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. So, so there's, there's all of that. And, you know, my thing is this, whoever wrote the listicle is like, you do not have the same frame of reference. I do. You did not grow mm, yeah. up the way I did or where I did. And you have no earthly idea what was, you know, drilled into our heads by our older peers of what we were supposed to be doing or how we were supposed to be doing it. And maybe someday I'll write it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. I've got some ideas there. Um, you know, when, when people talk about toxic masculinity, I grew up in it. I saw it. I, I watched it on a sure. regular basis. It was in my neighborhood. Sure. And, you know, and people want to say, well, you know, we're manly men. No, no, you're not. No, you're, <laughs> you're, you're just a jerk. You're uh, insecure. Yeah. And you don't know how to treat women. Um, is how that, what that boils down to. But there's a specific reason why people have this mentality and a lot of, a lot of folks don't ever evolve. Um, you sure. know, we, I grew up in a neighborhood where, where guys were working on their cars in the driveway every weekend or they were restoring a vintage muscle car or, you know, and everybody was like that, almost that Tim Allen stereotype, right? Arr, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, we were all taught to chase girls. Right. Is, is right. you know, and, and, and to not understand 16 candles or breakfast club or pretty and pink, any of those John Hughes movies, which were fantastic. Um, you, if you didn't grow up in that time, you're never going to understand it, especially today. And the point I'm getting to, we were talking about it off air. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the news about Britney Spears or on the socials about Britney Spears, about how she's like doing some nude photography or whatever now. Yep. And people are, are, you know, all verklempt about it when, when she was coming up, even as early as 14, if I remember right, like her first album, she was, she was hypersexualized from the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and, yep. and, you know, um, even, even folks like David Letterman have been dragged recently, you know, by going back and looking at old interviews with like Drew Barrymore or Madonna or, or, you know, yep. and, and, Hilton. right. And how sexualized those moments in, in pop culture were. And I'm like, you know what? Things have changed so much, uh, in just a short amount of time. It, it, I find it really, really interesting, you know. I, I see a lot of folks, a lot of women on social posting photos of half-naked men, and it's okay now. But if we do it as guys, we're pigs, all right? If we do that with women. So it's 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 really interesting. And again, I can't remember the word I was trying to remember earlier. Um, and it's not exploitation, but there's a word for it. And uh, I wish I could remember what it is. But anyway, I just I just find it really interesting that how much has changed in a short amount of time when it comes to our perception of what you can and cannot do. 
with regards to the opposite sex when it comes to pop culture. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting point. And I think that it's like, um, I don't know. It's, I find it hard to, it's, I find it hard sometimes to watch some of that stuff because it just feels like it feels weird. I mean, like you said, like you mentioned 16 candles and I, don't know, I was never a huge fan of that movie. I was a fan of other John Hughes movies, but, um, yeah, I think that a lot of people were just not very aware. I mean, I just think of like myself of just like the way I acted when I was, you know, in high school and when I was even when I was in the Navy, when I used to go on dates and things like that. A lot of that stuff just didn't really cross my mind as being questionable or being just like, you know, questionable behavior. And I think that, you know, we evolve and uh, I'm not going to like, you know, uh, you know, shit on John Hughes because of that, because I don't think he really knew any better. I think most of us didn't know any better, but you know, it's, I think, you know, I think that people who sort of defend like, Oh, it was back then. They didn't, you know, like leave it alone. It's a classic. Well, I, I still find it hard to watch some of that stuff. You know, I do too. And you know, 16 candles was probably my least favorite, right? I like some kind of wonderful pretty in pink was probably my favorite out of all of I like them. pretty in pink. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Breakfast Club is all right. Um, you know, I know was never an Emilio Estevez fan, so he kind of, you know, almost ruins it for me. But I think, again, Hughes is, is holding up a mirror to the time. And high school in the 80s, you know, it, it, it's pretty reflective of what that time was like. You know, just like Lesson Zero was reflective of that time after high school at that time. You know, when when yuppie culture and, uh, you know, the avarice and greed of Wall Street at the time was really, really, uh, you know, making splashy news. Um, you know, that was when we we learned to like Robert Downey Jr. the first time, um, you know, movies like that held up a mirror to the time. And to say that, you know, oh, it's cringy or we can't watch it kind of thing. You know, it's a slice of time and. You know, yeah. just like going back and watching movies from the fifties or watching movies from the sixties, you you have to look at it through that lens. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, right. Right, right. because that means you've evolved. If you're yeah. watching, if you're watching uh, Gone with the Wind and think it's historically accurate, you got a fucking problem. <laughs> well, that's an extreme example, but yeah, <laughs> you know. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is we're, as we talk about books, uh, one of the things that's really, really getting on my nerves is is banning books, these book-burning events that have been happening. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it really, really, to to borrow an expression from years ago that'll, that'll, that you'll remember, it chaps my ass. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a that's a scoop Hansen phrase, <laughs> right? Wasn't he? He chaps my ass. Yeah, chaps my ass. Exactly. You know, bonus. Yeah, bonus. Jesus Christ, nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, it, it it really really bothers me that somebody was talking about um, talking about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. And they had taken it off the required reading list in a particular school district. And, oh, it's it's making people feel uncomfortable. Well, that's the fucking point of the book. And, right, exactly. And somebody else said, oh, Atticus Finch, he's got, he's got white savior syndrome. I'm like, oh, God, did you not understand the point of the damn book? 
right. that you know, he, he doesn't have white savior syndrome. He's the one guy in the town standing up for what's right. Yeah. Right. It's, it, it, it's not virtue signaling. It's not, it's none of that. It's the, the guy is standing up for the right. You know what I mean? He's an ally to use yeah, today's right. parlance. Right. Sure. Sure. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Uh, and so, you know, these, you get these religious fanatics in Tennessee burning books and I just don't, and, and of course they're burning like Harry Potter, right? I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> eh. Um, you know, because, because there's so much Satanism and witchcraft in the world today, Chris, did you not know that? I did not. Thanks for letting me know though. Well, yeah, I had to update you uh, on that. You're listening to the Get the Knack podcast with your host, Jerry Knack, and I'm joined by my good friend, Chris Ingalls of Pop Matters, my good Navy buddy from, uh, you know, way back when. We won't talk about how long ago. Uh, what are you drinking tonight, by the way? I was going to ask. Uh, I'm having I'm having this uh, this cocktail that uh, I've, I've become fond of, the late style. It's uh, bourbon, Fernet Branca, lime juice, and Domaine de Canton, which is a ginger liqueur. It's, uh, it's very boozy. Um, so you get three like ty- well, there's three kinds of booze in it and, uh, and, and lime juice and ice, <laughs> cut um, it, cut it with the lime juice, cut it with the lime juice. Um, that's it. That's it. I've been, uh, I only have, I only have a couple of beers in the house and they're like light ones. They're like light lagers. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that tonight. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a stout that's somewhere between, uh, it's a bourbon barrel aged stout, uh, somewhere between a 12 and a 14, um, and a, and a, and a dram of Jameson. So, um, nice. yeah, that's my usual double, double fisting. So, um, you, you alluded to it. So I don't know if I've mentioned this to you. I, I, I probably did, but so far this season of the get the knack podcast, I've had, uh, a tremendous roster of guests. I've had stand-up comedian. I had a Grammy award winner, uh, old Air Force buddy, you, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just, uh, I've had published authors. I had a vampirologist, somebody who hires vamp, uh, studies vampires, hires them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, studies vampires out of Australia. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, I've had quite the roster of guests, but you know, we were talking about it a couple weeks ago. I had Jim Mason Foley, uh, former Air Force disc jockey. I don't know if you ever worked under Jim, but he was my supervisor in the radio department uh, when we all worked together at uh, Navy Broadcasting Service in Keflavik, Iceland. And, uh, you know, having Jim on, number one, brought back a lot of memories. But also, I got a chance to tell one of my earliest mentors, you know, how much I appreciated him. What was funny was, and I didn't say it when we before we got on and we were talking about it, but I didn't realize at the time that he was a mentor. Does that make sense? No, I, I, I think I understand because you don't really. Yeah, that makes sense. I learned from him and I and I, I picked up a lot of cues from him. And, you know, not only did we and, and you remember this, obviously, we've talked about it numerous times. Not only did we work hard together, we all played hard together. Sure. Um, and, you know, Jim told a lot of a lot of stories about Sue Smith and, uh, you know, the parties that that she used to throw at, at her place when I, especially when sure. I first got to Iceland and uh, you know, we, Jim and I played in a, in a arena football tournament in the gym. Uh, so we, uh, we did everything together and we were kind of a self-contained unit at the radio and TV station. We didn't really sure. mix and mingle with a lot of folks outside that circle. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I, um, 
and and to answer your question about working uh, under Jim, I you know I honestly don't remember um, if 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 we overlap. I mean, obviously we were both stationed there at the same time for 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 a long time. In terms of us both being in the same department at any given time, I don't remember. I feel like I might have worked for him in radio at some point, um, but um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the. Uh, you know, first of all, it was it, like I mentioned before. It was great to hear his voice, and it was great to listen to the two of you talk. Because I obviously haven't haven't seen Jim since I was in Iceland, and that's you know that's like twenty eight years now. Well, if you would have showed up to the fucking reunion in DC a couple right. of years ago, I'm, I had a good excuse. I just don't I remember what it was. Family vacation, uh, <laughs> blah blah blah. Wolf Lodge, but anyway, man, blah blah. Anyway, as I was saying, um, <laughs> I think that um, you know he's he's. Like you said, really nice guy, really humble guy, and um, yeah, it was just great to, to 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 hear you guys talk and and you know reminded me of what you brought up about this sort of like tight knit group that we had there. I mean, the base was pretty big, but <clears throat> we really sort of just hung out with the fellow broadcasters and their families. I mean, that was sort of my experience. I mean, when I lived yeah. before I got before I got married, and I was living in the barracks. There were other departments in the bar like people who work for PSD, people who work for NOCD, those people I used to mingle with because we lived in the same building. But once once we were kind of on our own and once, you know, you and I and, and all of us were most of us were all were all married at the time. <clears throat> not necessarily the same people um, <clears throat> that we were married to now, but that's not the point. Um, but we were living <laughs> we were living kind of like it was like this sort of you know, uh, we were a bunch of just like, you know, married couples hanging out on the weekends and after work and stuff like that. And it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting time, but we were very, very close knit. I remember that very well. Yeah. And, you know, there were times we didn't all get along or didn't all agree, but, you know, it did seem like on Friday or Saturday night, uh, mm -hmm. we were all together at, at somebody's mm -hmm. apartment, you know, yep. <clears throat> and whether we're binge watching, inventing binge watching, uh, as we've talked about ad nauseum, you know, watching Beavis and Butthead uh, or mm -hmm. Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, sure. you know, we're, we were, we were hanging out together. We were doing stuff together. And yeah, it was this little self-contained unit. We had our, it was almost like a, we formed our own little counterculture. Yeah. 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 I would go along with that. And, and I think that, <clears throat> our line of work for some reason tended to bring us together. I think that it brought, I think we had a lot of common interests because we were, we were writers and because we were, you know, working as, as DJs, I think we sort of had a, a love of, a love of music and a love of sort of like the broadcasting, um, you know, the, 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 the broadcasting, uh, avocation or whatever you want to call it. And I think that that really was something that kind of like bonded us. I mean, it really did. The work bonded us, which is weird, but it did. Yeah, we were, I think the funny thing and the funny part of that is I think we were broadcasters and journalists first and military second. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, would, I, I mean, I would the, agree. the military was a fucking inconvenience. Yeah, it was. I think we were, we were, and I remember, and I don't know if this is your experience at Dinfos, but you know, at Dinfos, we were on an army base and everybody else was, um, you know, I just remember PT, like we would be marching around the base and basically just like goofing off a lot more than the other people at Fort Bend. It just seemed like the Dinfos people were sort of like the black sheep of the base. Yeah. That was my experience. Oh Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, the army folks were, unless they were going to Dinfos, the army folks were like, there was some kind of financial school or something, some accounting thing. And, yep, yep. and it was funny because the folks going to that didn't seem very bright. And I'm thinking, you guys are counting the money, huh? Okay, great. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were at Fort Benjamin Harrison in Indianapolis. And it, it was one of those places they actually featured the golf course on the news with the caveat, well, you can't play here. But it's one of the best courses in the county. I'm like, really? Um, I never, I never played golf on that either. course, I never but I certainly golf. had my share of booze at the 19th hole there. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, oh it God. was no, it was no Ike and Jonesies. Um, with nickel beer night and all the other crap they used to do. See, I was see, I was underage at Dinfos. I don't know about you. I was a fleet returnee, so no, I was not. So I had yeah. I had been in the Navy about three three and a half years by the time I yeah. got to Dinfos. So. See, I had a very different experience. I mean, I was eighteen when I got there, and um, so a lot of you know my drinking happened in these sort of like barracks parties that were not allowed that were very you know mm. under you know, and then also the nineteenth hole at the time was they were pretty loose with the id at that place um i do remember um but uh yeah so that was my experience there i didn't go to bars i didn't do any of that although i would you know i had a lot of classmates who were older who did but uh yeah sure. my fort my fort my dinfos experience was a little weird in that way it was kind of like college and that you know i wasn't 21 yet but but we found ways to to get hammered <laughs> <laughs> of course we did. We and were... then I get and then I get to and then I get to Diego Garcia, right? I'm 19. I get to Diego Garcia and there's no drinking age there because it's a British territory. It's basically like you're in England. Mm -hmm. And uh that was fun because it was... was all out in the open at that point. Yeah, that was us in Puerto Rico. And I think the drinking age was like 18 or whatever. So yeah. when we went down there for war games and stuff when I was in the F14 squadron, yeah, we we were pretty much lit the whole time we were there. Um, you know, you can get a bottle of Don Q rum for $2 and 15 cents. So, you know, was this pre dinfos that you were there? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was an electronics technician on F14 Tomcats, my first couple of years in the service. And then, uh, found out I was colorblind and I'm like, well, prior to joining, I didn't know the service had journalists or I would have done that from jump street. Right. But, you know, the first time I go to sea, I'm watching shipboard television. It's like, I'm Navy journalist so-and-so. I'm like, really? We have that? So, <laughs> so what, what am I doing here? Yeah, what am I doing fixing airplanes? Um, <laughs> you know, and I was writing for the cruise book and the newsletter, and my shipmates are all like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing yeah. this? So um, I ended up uh, putting in for Denfos and, and got picked up for it. And then, uh, you know, so funny. Um Going through print, I had the opportunity to take the voice audition. And remember Pat Smith, Patrick Smith, sure. right? Oh, sure, yeah. So Pat actually scored higher on the voice audition than I did. But his training track didn't have the money for any more school, but mine did. So I got the spot for uh, Bob Runda's class for broadcast. Yeah, right. And I ended up graduating at the top of my class. Um, we won't discuss why bill connor hates me but anyway um <laughs> that happened because bill bill and i was we were in the same graduating class and uh so uh but you graduate at the top of your class you could pick your orders so i picked iceland because i was going to school he was behind me he might have been ahead of me i was going to school with tom jones jr yeah 
So he was telling me, oh, yeah, Iceland, it's fantastic. You got to go. My dad's wonderful. And I, you know, been hearing stories about Warren Officer Tom Jones for quite a while. And I'm like, yeah, I got to go work for that guy. And, yeah. you know, uh, Jim and I talked uh, at length about uh, Warren Officer Jones a couple of weeks ago and, and what a great mentor he was. And, and the great thing was that he let us do stuff. And yes. I'll never forget it especially as a fan of the guy for a long, long time, I'll never forget, you know, we all pushed the envelope, any of us who had personality, right? We all pushed the envelope, but Jamie Salafia pushed it farther than anybody else. He had that letter that the Air Force had sent Hunter S. Thompson taped above his desk in the newsroom. You remember that? Uh, vaguely. That Vague. sounds familiar. It was like a badge of honor. It was basically like, hey, Hunter S. Thompson, straighten up and fly right or we're throwing you out. Right. And, and Jamie okay. had that, you know, that was like his. I do remember that now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was like his, his, his license to, to be an ass on air. And, uh, you know, Jamie was hilarious. He was one of the best uh, disc jockeys we had. And, uh, you know, I, I talk w- with reverence about hosting the after midnight show cause we just do whatever the hell we wanted and program sure. like a college station. But, you know, Jamie took it to another level, but I do remember, I do remember when Jamie got called on the carpet for doing the sports when I was on vacation and it was a, a girls basketball game. And this one team, which you've never seen in basketball almost got shut out and, and he was making fun of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I will never forget when he got called on the carpet for that, but none Matt of us. Jones. Could, yeah. None of it. I mean, I got called on the carpet a couple of times, but we never really got in real trouble. We just got to got that stern talking to, and then, you know, right, exactly. Yeah. And then you go back to want to, you know, do whatever. And he's like, yeah, did you learn your lesson this time? Right, yeah. All right. Go on. Have fun. Go do your thing. Yeah. It was a, it was a, I mean, it was a great, it was, that was a great experience. Cause it was just like, um, you know, it's a place, it's one of those broadcast attachments that you hear about, you know, it's sort of like the, 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 the best place you can be stationed if that's what you're doing. And, um, I didn't go there right out of Dinfo, right at Info, So I was in Diego Garcia first, but, um, you know, the funny thing is I was, I, you know, I went through broadcast, I, I went through the broadcasting course and originally I had orders to the USS Wisconsin and I don't know why, but for some reason at the very last minute they changed them and I went to Diego Garcia and I can only think, wow, how things would have changed for me if, cause you know, if I was on the Wisconsin, I don't know what I would have been doing, but I wouldn't have been doing as much broadcasting as I was, as I would have done. Um, and so, you know, and also <laughs> Wisconsin went to the Gulf. There was in the Gulf. I would have been in, like basically been in combat. So kind of happened that's what i was doing before i was on saratoga during desert shield and desert storm so yeah um yeah i got some combat pay so or hostile fire pay or whatever the hell they called it so yeah no i i know exactly what you're what you're thinking about that and my you know they wanted to either send me it's kind of funny when i got out they wanted to either send me to diego garcia or back to sea i'm like no i'm good i'm gonna go home i'm done Well, 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 Diego Garcia, you might as well be at sea because that's yeah. considered sea duty. Right, so, right. So whatever. Well, what's funny is, um, you know, we were talking about how when we were working in, in radio and television that the, the military part of it was almost an inconvenience. Yeah. Uh, when I went to Naval Aviation News Magazine in D.C., I had a real hard time with that because I was so used to being this personality, somebody people recognized. You know, I was 
you know, we almost become entertainers at that point, right? Even though, yeah. you know, if right. we're not doing news, we're, we're entertainers. And so I go go to print journalism, and it's like this whole different thing. They expect you to show up for muster on time. I'm like, eh, I don't want to go. Um, you know, they got they got all this military <laughs> stuff that you're supposed to do, and you're just like, eh, I'm a journalist. I don't want to do this. Um, right. But you do it because you have to, and you know the pride of pride of pride of being in the service and all that stuff and but it was really interesting the difference between the two and then uh you know but as jim and i were talking about a couple of weeks ago the time in iceland was the best time of my entire career some of the best professional time i've ever had in my life and you know got some lifelong friends out of it uh and you know form as i was telling jim when i when i got into pro football i used everything i ever learned yeah. Right? I, I knew how to voice scripts. I knew how to sure. edit video. I knew how to take pictures because I, you know, I had done that at, at the magazine. I knew all these different things. We just had to take it to digital, take it to the internet, right. and yeah, right, right, and that, and that's when that all of that was happening. So, you know, that was a really, really great time uh, in our in our lives that that I always look back fondly. And it's another, and I've told you before, and I've written about it. It's another reason why I do this podcast because I miss that time. I miss being on radio, right? Yeah. You know, neither one of us really, I mean, you got a job at a TV station, but you know, I mean, from, from a personality standpoint, not many of us went on to commercial broadcasting success. No, some have, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, yeah. Uh, and then I did, you know, the TV stuff that I, I worked at a TV station after I got out of the Navy, but I was a tape editor. I mean, right. it was, you know, it was just one small part of what I had been trained to do in the Navy. And, uh, you know, and I, I, quickly learn that that's the way it works it's just like you know you may be trained to do everything in the navy but once you get out it's there's very specialized uh skill sets that are you know um I, and but uh, although i will say when i was working at tv station i was tape editor and my intention was to move up to being a uh a field uh, photographer but uh like a videographer but we ended up moving before that happened i only worked for the tv station for a year and then we moved to italy so but that's another story yeah, I know. I was in Virginia Beach, and we were trying to get together, and, and you had yeah. to work, and and our schedule. Yeah, I had a really work. shitty schedule. Yeah. I was working. I was working like th I was working like three to eleven or something like that, and it was like really hard for me to like have any evenings off. And you know, of course, I was like you know father of a of a of I was a father of a of a um, of a baby girl who is going to be thirty this year. You want to feel old? Well, my <laughs> oldest is twenty two, so yeah, I get yeah. it. I know. Um, and, and the youngest is 15. So yeah, he's getting, getting old enough to, you know, <sighs> I know I, Look, your birthday's on Tuesday or whatever the hell. And yep. you know, I'm in June, so I'm not that far behind you. 53, uh, yep. staring us in the face here. Um, but I, you know, I gotta be the, the most immature 53 year old you've ever met in your life. So, well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I don't know what I'm supposed to act like at this age. I remember how stoic my dad was and, you know, I mean, he had personality, he had a good sense of humor, but you had to drag it out of him. He was very wry, mm -hmm. he was very wry sense of humor. Sure, um, sure, sure. You know, but, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been really, really interesting. Uh, last week I had uh, stand up comedian Joni McDermott on. She's a up, up and coming comic in, in Ohio. Um, you know, our age, but this is, you know, what she's probably been meant to do her whole life. Uh, good family friend of ours. And then, uh, you know, obviously I had Michael Wansley on, uh, Grammy Award winner a few weeks ago and, and had Jim yep. and, um, 
you know, it's, uh, God, I think I've done like 20, this might be episode 21 of season five and it's gotta be the most episodes I've done yet in a, in a particular year. Yeah. It seems like, seems like, seems like a lot this time around. Well, when you spend $300 on equipment, you tend to do the show. <laughs> There's your incentive right there. <laughs> got to justify the purchase, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I use a microphone and everything else, uh, on the daily for zoom calls for work, but you know, the little box, the little box I bought, uh, which has worked out great and really increased the quality of the, the audio for the show has been, That's great. been great. Uh, I got to have Pat Malone on again here soon. I haven't had him on since like, he might've been like my second guest. I mean, you right. were, you were one of the first, he was one of the first, mm-hmm. um, you know, Pat just did his, uh, stand up for cancer is, you know, I'm going to stand for 24 hours to raise money uh, for cancer research. Uh, he just did that recently or has it coming up? I think it was recent. Um, so I'm going to have Pat on. I just got a commitment today from somebody I've been following on Twitter for a long time. She follows me. Her name's Chauncey K. Robinson. She is a big horror fan, but she's also a movie reviewer, and her stuff helps feed Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I reached out to her on Twitter, and she said, yeah, I'd love to be on the show. We've been trying to work out the date. She just committed today to March 25th, so two weeks We'll have uh, Chauncey Robinson. You can follow her on Twitter. Um, she does a lot of Twitch streaming and and some other stuff. So she's she's really big on uh, what what qualifies as digital media today. Um, sure. And uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I really want to dive into um, you know the movie business and movie reviews and and again her concentration is in, in horror. So that's going to be a lot of fun talking to her especially with the new texas chainsaw massacre movie that just came out recently and you know the continuation of some of these other franchises like uh scream and halloween and so that'll be an interesting conversation so very cool yeah yeah and you know pat pat's pat's like the salt of the earth right and and jim and i were talking about it as you recall i'm stunned at how many people pat knows and and the the thing is he remembers them all Right, right. Well, I think I think you guys, you and Jim, were talking about that last time. Yeah, yeah. It just blows my mind all the people he knows and all the people he remembers. Pat and I got together in Baltimore when I was working for the Raiders, and a bunch of the the beat writers, the newspaper and and magazine writers who covered the team, were they were uh, at the same spot, and I introduced Pat to them. He knew them all by name. <laughs> He'd been reading their stuff. I'm like, That's are you great. kidding me? Oh, yeah, yeah, Vic, you're with the San Francisco Chronicle. Oh, yeah, Paul, you're with the whatever. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? How the fuck do you know this? He's got a mind like a steel trap, like like nobody I've ever known in my life. I mean, it's just the volume, of, and, and he doesn't forget anybody. Right, right. right. Well, that's, so. that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an admirable quality. Um, you know, cause he's, he's a, he's a very, I don't really know him. I mean, I've met him, you know, several times in Iceland, but I haven't certainly haven't seen him since then, but he always strikes, strikes me as someone with a lot of integrity and just a, just a good guy, you know, 100%. Good person, yeah, good person to know. Yeah. So I wanted to get your, your thoughts on, on something before we, uh, wrap it up with the, the usual what's happening with music and, and pop matters and stuff you're working on part mm-hmm. of the conversation. But I wrote a blog recently that kind of been. Uh, it was an itch in the back of my brain that I've been trying to scratch for a while. And I wrote a blog about uh, the uh, presumed lost art of going to visit relatives. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not talking about your immediates, right? I'm not talking about, you know, your kid coming for Christmas or you going to them. I'm talking about random relatives. I'm talking about not the people you normally get together with for Christmas or Thanksgiving, but the yep. other visits, right? The random. When I was a kid, my dad, we throw me and mom in the car and we go visit aunt and uncle so-and-so. And, yep. you know, you, you really got to go, um, you know, with a, with a machete and bushwhack to find them in the family tree. Uh, so it was really interesting. I threw out the question on a Gen X group I belong to on Facebook and the answers I got back just totally blew my mind. It was all over the place. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was no through line. There was no one definitive answer. Some people had become the people that, that get visited. You know what I mean? They're the, they're the ones who host. Um, others had become antisocial hermits, which I really, re- that really resonated with me. Um, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm the antisocial hermit these days. Um, but it was really, really interesting. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on, on that kind of thing. Like in terms of in terms of like you know what has happened with that why we don't do that anymore yeah because I know COVID is one thing right so I well it, yeah I, the, the whole thing is kind of COVID notwithstanding right I mean yeah where is your head with that kind of thing would you you know grab Liza and Noah and throw them in the car and go visit some relative they never heard of I mean well I mean it. It all depends. I mean, every situation is different. Everybody's family dynamic is different. I mean, I think that um, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. First of all, I think that that society has sort of um, has sort of uh, moved away a little bit from the whole idea of like the pop in, you know, the sort of like, hey, let's just swing by and say hi to so and so on our way home or whatever. Um, and I think that we don't do that as much because if we did, we could just text them or whatever and say, Hey, I'm on my way. But I, I think that, I think that generally overall our society has been become a little bit more sort of insular and a little bit more like aloof towards that kind of, you know, that kind of open, you know, openness of just like, you know, heading over to see somebody. But I also think, and this has been my own personal experience is that in terms of extended family, I mean, most of my extended family is here in New England because most of my relatives, my mother and father are both from here and most of their families, most of their siblings and all those people have generally stayed in this area. So I have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and people who are very close by, but I find as we get older that I don't have as much in common with them. Mm. Um, And that I think has a lot to do with, uh, you know, our decision to just not necessarily just, you know, I have a, I have a first cousin who I've known literally my entire life. She's a month older than me. She lives in this town. She lives like a mile and a half from me. And I don't, it's not that I don't want anything to do with her. It's just like, we don't think to get together because we just don't really, it's like we have the family connection, but this isn't somebody who I would just like pop over and say hi to and hang out with. Um, I think that I have become a lot more close to friends than family because they say, you know, friends are the family you choose. And not that I dislike my relatives. I just think that we've sort of grown apart. Um, a lot of like me and my siblings, um, just don't have as much in common. I think a lot of it is, 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 um, uh, like social, like our, I don't want to say our politics, but that has a lot to do with it. A lot, a lot of the people who, a lot of my cousins and aunts and uncles are, are somewhat conservative and me and my siblings are not. And so it's just like, you know, we don't really have, 
and I did, it's funny because I was at a, I was at a, a, a wake, um, a couple of weeks ago, one of my uncles passed away and, and I saw a bunch of family members who I don't normally see. And we had a very nice time where we talked and stuff like that. And I remember specifically saying to one of my cousins, I said, we should do this more, you know, not go to wakes more often, but we should, we should get together more often. We, we live very close by and I, whether or not that's actually going to happen, I don't know. But I think I sort of, I, I sort of had a, a, something of a revelation that day that it was like, you know what? We may not see eye to eye on things necessarily, but we're family. And I think maybe, I think maybe we'll try and do better with that. But I really do think that a lot of it, some of it has to do with just overall culture and the way, the way society is nowadays, where we're all a little bit more aloof. But I also think that in our case, in my case, we just, um, you know, we don't have as much in common and, you know, that's just, that's, that's just the way it is. And again, I don't hate these people. It's just like, I wouldn't have as good a time hanging out with this person as I would like my friend John down the street who I, we bullshit about music all the time. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So that's my long winded take on it. I think, I think the word you used was insular and I, and I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. Right. And this, this one blog that I linked to had all these statistics about it. And it was really interesting because, you know, the expression, the heart grows fonder distance makes it grow heart grow fonder was, is a bit of a misnomer. You tend to, to drift apart the further apart you are, the longer you're away. You know, I left home at 18 for the Navy. I went back when I was 27, stayed for a while, left again. Um, you know, as an adult, I really haven't spent a whole lot of time in my hometown and yeah, you know, that's where my family is. The majority of it. I have some in Florida and some in the Carolinas and whatnot, but you know, I would visit a few, like on my, my road trips for work. But for the most part, you know, I think gone are the days of you have to hang out with these people because they're family. Yeah. Especially if you have people in your family who are toxic for any reason, right? Whether they're right, right, alcoholic, right. they're abusive, their politics are askew from yours, whatever it is. I'm not, and I'm not even, I'm not talking about any, anybody in my own family at all, right, just, right. just in general. Um, I think gone are the days where, you know, I, I'm, I have to go to this thing and my creepy uncle is there and I don't want to go. Um, now a lot of folks, they don't have to go and, or they refuse to. And I think that's the polar shift. When we were kids, we didn't have a choice. And now, yeah. you know, when kids get into their teens, if they don't want to go, they're not made to. Right. And I think, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are probably the exceptions to a lot of that because you, everybody has their, their, their staid traditions. Their, yeah. Um, right. You know, this is what we do every year. Um, you know, in my case, it was always like, okay, who's the new boyfriend? Who's the new girlfriend? Who's the new wife? Who's the new husband? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and those are the folks, you know, you were okay with, with your people, but the people they brought with them, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, um, yeah, right. you know, so maybe you didn't care for them as much, but, um, it's, it, uh, I just thought it was really interesting, all the different answers I got back. And I, I spent a long time talking to one of my cousins who's 23, looking at it through her lens. Cause one of the things I talked to her about not that long ago was, I don't know what kids are being told anymore about what the American dream is. I know what it was for us. Might've been a little different for you because of your upbringing, but you know, uh, gone are the days of, you know, go to school, get married, have two and a half kids, buy a house and get job with pension. Those days are <clears> gone. 
right? So I don't know what those kids are being told. So I talked to her at length about the visiting thing, and she's one of the few people, she loves going to visit her family. She's a pop-in kind of person. But <clears throat> at the same time, she's like, I know that person's toxic. I'm not going. Right, right. Right. So yeah. um, it's, it's really interesting to, to see her straddle both sides of that fence. You know, I'm going to go visit family, but I'm going to go see the people I want to hang out with. For me, not spending a whole lot of time in my hometown, you know, as an adult for the last 30 years or whatever it is, it, my family has become my friends. Right. right. We, we have, yeah. we, I have a, a very few select, uh, you know, group of friends. Um, and the thing, the thing that bugs me about, it, even when I was in California, they're scattered hither and yon. You're included in that. Right. So it's like, you know, my good friends, my close friends of people I want to hang out with. I can't cause they're not close. One of the things that keeps me close to you is having you on the show once a month. So, you know, uh, my friend, you know, my good friend, I had two friends named Tony in the San Francisco Bay Area. I talked to him on the phone every now and again. Uh, a couple of friends that I worked with, uh, uh, other friends I worked with at the Raiders, talk on the phone every now and again. But it was kind of kind of funny. My my cousin Carrie lives two hours away. I haven't seen her yet. I've been here for eight months. <laughs> so she lives right. near Seattle, and I haven't seen her yet. So and I used Man. to and I used to hang out with her every time I'd visit Seattle. So it's kind of weird how this all works. And, you know, she's one of those cousins I want to spend time with. Right. So it's like, yeah, right. You know, it, it's just really weird what we choose to do and when we choose to do it. Sure. Yeah. So last time I had you on the show was, was music heavy, right? We talked nothing but music for almost two hours. Um, but, uh, kind of saved it for the end here. What is happening on the music scene right now? We're not going to talk about former NFL wide receiver, Antonio Brown opening up for Kanye West at this point. Um, <laughs> who's who's okay. Kanye West is spending most of his time terrorizing Pete Davidson. Um, but uh, what is happening in music? Did you, I, I know you're not a football fan, but you, did you catch the Super Bowl halftime show at all? Uh, I, I did. Hear, I did. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't watch it live, but I did actually. I thought you might see it. Yeah, I, I saw it like you know on YouTube or whatever. But um, um, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was great, and it's funny because a lot of people were like, um, you know, this is a lot of like older people were saying, yeah, this is this. These are the you know these are the the people that uh, you know these are the rappers or whatever that we grew up with. This is like '90s rap, and and I wanted to say, you know, Kendrick Lamar kind of blew everybody away. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> <laughs> not to, not to say that anybody i mean every it was it was actually great it was a lot of fun um and um yeah i thought i i, I liked it i thought it was great it was very well done yeah you know we were talking about it here in, in our house that you know nwa kind of changed everything and yeah. you know as much as i grew up on you know ll cool j run dmc the beastie boys um you know even biggie to some degree uh you know a little bit later but you know it was interesting because NWA came along and changed everything. They added the social justice element to hip hop. Yep. And, and, you know, that brought, I mean, I, I don't think Wu-Tang exists without them. There's a whole bunch mm -hmm. of acts that don't exist without NWA. And I thought all the people who were offended by this cracked me up because I'm like, okay, the Super Bowl is being held in Los Angeles at this brand new stadium in Los Angeles. You don't think they're going to do a Los Angeles specific or Southern California specific halftime show. You're out of right. your mind. Now, yeah. now it's not going to be Randy Newman for fuck's sake. Okay. 
as much as I love Randy Newman, it's not going to be Randy right, Newman. Right. It's not. It's, okay. it's the wrong crowd. Yeah, yeah it's not going to be the Eagles. Sorry. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be anybody who came out of Laurel Canyon in the mid '60s. Um, yeah. Right. So, uh, no, I thought it was fantastic. It was it was a great show, and uh, you know, it's just on brand for a lot of and all the people who complained about Eminem. Oh yeah, look, it's a token white guy. I'm like, you know nothing about hip hop, do you? Right. Exactly. You, yeah. Right. You don't know where where he came from, who he was discovered by, you know. And you know the other thing too that it brings home, especially when you look at like Jay-Z in the audience and that kind of thing. And I, I don't know where Diddy was when this was all going down, but um, you know, people don't realize uh, how influential um, folks like this are in the music industry and in pop culture in general, how many, uh, you know, they're, they're business people, they're billionaires for a reason. Right. And, right. and you know, they, they uh, brought us a lot of uh, performing artists, recording artists uh, that, you know, that have made made a lot of records and sold a lot of copies and you know um but yeah i thought it was a, a great halftime show but what what's happening in music what else is going on um well i'm not i don't exactly um i can just tell you about the stuff that i'm working on i mean i'm kind of like uh uh i am going to be um uh shit uh, i wrote a review that hasn't yet been posted uh, probably early next week uh, this um, great singer-songwriter who's uh, just released her second album yesterday. Uh, her name is Allegra Krieger. And it's called Precious Thing. It's very, very cool. Um, also going to be um, reviewing the new uh, Father John Misty album, which comes out next month, which is really good. He, he's sort of like with an orchestra. It's a really interesting sound. Um, I have to – I didn't write anything about it, um, but I do have to say that the new um, – Elvis Costello album is tremendous. Um, it's a really good sort of like um, old school, kind of like kind of like going back to his older days. A lot more of a heavy rock sound and really really terrific. Um, and uh, oh, and I did mention this to you, I think last time we talked, but I am writing a uh, an essay on the movie Diner because it's yes. uh, turns turns forty this this month. And, I still um, need to watch it. You sent me the link on Amazon Prime, and I need to yeah, watch it. Is it. On, yeah, it yeah. is on Prime. It's available to rent or buy on Prime. Definitely should. Uh, it's worth checking out for yeah, a couple yeah. different reasons. Um, it's 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 got you know great dialogue, great script, and it's interesting to see this cast because it's a bunch of actors who would go on to do great, you know, it was like very early in their careers. I mean, there's a young Kevin Bacon, a young Mickey Rourke, a young uh, Ellen Barkin, uh, Tim Daly. And these were all, this was for most of them was if, if not their first movie, like their second or third movie. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, and, and it's takes place in 1959 in Baltimore. And so it definitely has that sort of like, you know, it's, it's a period piece in that sense. Great music, uh, crazy attention to detail, but it's also like, one of the things I think I'm going to mention in the uh, in the piece is that it sort of predated Seinfeld in a way, in that it was a movie about nothing. You know, kind of like that was a TV show about nothing. They these guys hung out in a diner and they talked about women and they talked about cars and you know and and were you know just that kind of a vibe. Um, so I'm looking forward to writing about that and um, you know other music stuff. I just I um, I've, I've been sort of ramping down the writing a lot lately just because you know my job is still kind of keeping me pretty busy in my day job uh in fact i'm actually traveling for work which is something i haven't done in a long time um i'm, I'm just going to dc for a day 
like a week from Monday. So um, that's interesting that I have a job now that requires me to do that. It's been a very long time. I know that that's something that you were doing for a long time. <laughs> long time. But uh, yeah, uh, not not for me. And, you know, we're an international company and I would imagine it won't be long before I'm traveling overseas for work, but that'll, that'll happen, you know, eventually once COVID is eased up a little bit more. I don't know how things are with you in terms of like mask mandates and stuff like that. They're getting ready but, to uh, lift the indoor mandate here soon. I think it was originally the, like the 21st, but now I'm here in the 12th. So, oh, wow. yeah, so that's about to happen. Outdoor, I mean, like I ever paid attention to outdoor because I'm never near anybody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, indoor is supposed to be lifted very soon. And, you know, it's kind of funny. It keeps me from, it has kept me from doing more. Like, I don't like shopping while wearing a mask. Like, like, like browsing a bookstore, right? right? I don't. Right, right, right. You know, I get what I want and I get out. I don't, I don't linger as long as I would if I wasn't yep. wearing one just because it's uncomfortable I'll wear it because I have to and it's the right thing to do yep. um, but it's it's not something I prefer um, restaurants you know we went we I can count on both hands how many times during the entire pandemic we've probably gone out to eat um, yeah same here you know but uh, you know we uh, went out the other weekend to the uh, local Irish pub and, and had lunch um, you know, the, I mean, the joys of, of takeout or delivery. We had a great Thai food for lunch today from that. Talk about random ocean shores, Washington. We have a great Thai restaurant. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's in the least likely of places. So. Right. We got a great fish shack and we've, we've done fish and chips from there. I mean, talk about Jesus. It's a fish as big as a damn shark. Uh, pieces you get but um you know there's a couple decent spots around here and then you know the uh capital city of olympia has got a really cool vibe you'd like there's a, a great uh, bookstore there called orca uh very lgbtq inclusive place mm -hmm. um they, they actually carry me on consignment there which is great um oh, nice. yeah yeah and they've got a, a nearby they get a record store nearby and they do like the dollar outdoor bin sales you know from time to time sure um, sure you know and then obviously the one in in hoquiam that, that record store that I, I picked up frank zappa for you um yeah sure yeah um but you know olympia just in general um you know it's uh, it's the capital city but it's uh it's got a really you you like the progressive vibe there it's really cool um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, a couple of, they got a, you know, a small indie bookstore there, but they kind of big time me. So I'm in my sense. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me, man. Um, yeah, there you go. Right. But it, but it's one of those neighborhood bookstores you'd like. And it, it had a really cool, cool vibe to it. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, I haven't gotten to Seattle as much as, uh, you know, I haven't gotten there at all except to go to the airport. Um, you know, Angie and her mom went a couple months ago right before Christmas, her mom came out to visit. And so, you know, um, but yeah, it's, we, we need to get out and explore the weather's starting to break. So, sure. um, yeah. trying to walk more and, uh, there's some cool trails around here. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, um, really digging it here, uh, from, I mean, hell from where I was to where I am now, weather is, is something that I haven't had to deal with in years and, and I actually like it. Um, I went through how many years of drought and they're talking more drought in California. They said on the news the other day, there's no more fire season. It's year round now. Wow. Right. Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. And so, you know, whenever I, I see uh, like a nor'easter heading your way, I think about you. Sometimes I'll, I'll text, make sure you're okay. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, 
but uh you know living up here it's like uh you know it rains uh we had a white christmas uh it's in the 40s i'm digging it all right and it's it's not hot yeah yeah so nice change of pace right i even uh, a few weekends ago took a three mile walk on the beach like i walked like half of it barefoot i'm like this is freaking awesome i can see the mountains from the beach and yeah it's just so different from anywhere i've ever lived and uh you know i mean iceland we had all that that cool stuff oh there there's another series i don't know if i'm going to continue with this called katla um i was thinking about you i started to watch it it's supposed to be like a supernatural kind of thing uh the opening episode takes takes place almost exclusively in Vik. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't remember spending a whole lot of time in Vik except to stand there and look at the rocks, like the little <laughs> island of rocks across. <laughs> right. our, yep, yep. You remember that? Yeah. yeah, I do. Like you, you go from Keflavik, you drive through Grindavik, which is that fishing village, a fishing town, yep. all the way to the southern coast to, to Vik, and there's not a whole lot going on there. And uh, I just thought it was really interesting. There's a, it's, you know, it's a, centered about a fictional volcanic eruption, um, which might as well have been a real one uh, yeah, for, right. for that place. But yeah, because um, I like watching shows uh, that that are set there. Like they have some of these thrillers and stuff that are, are really, really cool. If you can, it's fun listening to the Icelandic language again. So. Uh, oh yeah. 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 I bet right. it's been a while since I've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it not that I knew much of it, but just to hear it, you know it, right? Um, and uh, it's actually different than the Norwegian or any of yep. the other uh, Norse uh, languages. So, but anyway, Chris, it's been a lot of fun as usual. Great way to yeah. uh, kick off the month of March. Happy Absolutely. birthday yet again for you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate and that. Hope you enjoy your day off. Uh, I'll try. You know, sometimes day drinking's got to be done uh, if you're going to take a day <laughs> off like that. You know. That is uh, a great idea. I recommend you start with breakfast. Um, you know, I can do that. just stay numb all day. You know, but uh, it was funny. I was re- sitting on sitting on the couch reading a book today with Miles Davis on the Alexa thing and and drinking a beer, thinking, you know, I'm perfectly happy like this. Like, I mean, seriously, like all those years we were chasing after this, that, and the other thing, and we were hustling and, and doing our thing and, you know, running down a runway on an in-flight emergency with a video camera or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, thinking about that. It's just, it's nice to just chill out in your house, on your couch, jazz playing, reading a book. Sounds I mean, great to me. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. No, no. Nothing at all. We're gonna we're gonna have a long talk at some point about all the bullshit chasing this and chasing that in the world. We'll we'll talk about that maybe <laughs> next time. Um, Sounds great. Got anything else to add, my friend? No, not at all. As always, uh, a lot of fun. And I think that um, I would think that by the time that I talk to you next, I'm gonna make a commitment to having a couple of uh, binged shows under my belt that I can share with you because I just have not been doing that lately. And I feel like I should just, uh, I should just, re- I should rectify that. Yeah, I've so, tried Ozark, so and, I, and I'm not. I'm like a season and a half in Ozark. I don't know if I'm going to continue or not. There's some, oh, interesting. Yeah, it, the first season was great, and then you get into season two, and it's like, eh, I don't know if I want. Yeah, I watched the first on. one. I watched the first one. That was it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll have something. I'm sure. I got plenty of recommendations from all sorts of people, so I'm sure I'll have something. Yeah, uh, um, for too long. Yeah, Archive eighty one. Give that a shot. 
it's okay. Yeah. Anybody who's ever worked with videotape would appreciate this. Um, yeah. Give that a shot if you want something kind of creepy. Uh, All right. Yeah. So, Chris, thanks for uh, joining me on the first episode of the Get the Knack podcast of the month of March 2022. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. That's going to do it for this edition of the Get the Knack podcast. I am your host, Jerry Knack. For my good friend, my old Navy buddy, he writes for popmatters.com. Check him out. Chris Ingalls. We'll talk to you next week.